Well, Sabbath greetings to all our brethren around the world. Well, welcome to any guests that we have. We have uh, guests here from California, noticed. Uh, so we're very happy to have you here. Uh, surprisingly, we have uh, 301, while many of our ministers are out visiting in local areas. And as you heard the announcement, Mr. Uh, Rod McNair will be doing a two, tomorrow's world presentation in Albany, Georgia. Uh, but we're very thankful to have all of you here. We are saddened by the death of Dr. Roderick Meredith. We're thankful for his long years of service and dedication and his example of perseverance and reviving the work, as he, he called it. Mr. Mike D. Simone wrote uh, in the notes last night, I hope you received the uh, evening emails from uh, Mr. D. Simone regarding Charlotte activities and a little exhortation as well. He wrote last night, about Dr. Meredith, quote, he remained faithful and loyal through the ups and downs of his service to the work and the church. Regardless of the trials, he remained faithful to the truth of the church. He didn't become bent out of shape. He didn't become bitter. Instead, he kept his eye on the goal of his calling and his focus on the work. He developed and nurtured a culture of love and servant leadership in the church. He did this to help us become more like Jesus Christ Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28, and in an effort to better prepare us for the kingdom of God, end of quote. So, brethren, thank you for your prayers for and your support for Dr. Meredith and the family. Uh, next Sabbath, Mr. Weston will be giving the sermon here, and we'll be having a uh, short video in honor of Dr. Meredith during that Sabbath service. Mr. Weston addressed the headquarters uh, staff yesterday morning, exhorting all of us to follow Dr. Meredith's example and earnestly fulfilling the great commission that Christ has given us. Dr. Meredith has always striven to keep the church on the track, preaching the kingdom of God and the whole counsel of God, which is brought out in Acts 20, verse 37. And in his long service, he observed one quality that separated ministers who remained faithful and those who did not. It's a quality that all of us need if we're going to be in the kingdom of God. And that is a quality of a godly fear, a deep reverence for the reality and the power and the love of God. It's a genuine awe toward the creative power and the love of God. The special music we just heard was titled, Fear God and Do His Will. To return to Ecclesiastes 13, Ecclesiastes 13. Thank you for that message, Mr. McCullough and the ensemble. Fear God and Do His Will. And that's the theme of today's sermon. Ecclesiastes 13 and verse 12, remember that Solomon had everything. He was the wealthiest man in the world. He uh, explains all of his projects in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And he said, after all of these works, he said, Indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. That's Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11. But after all his experimentation, after all his after all his experimentation, he came to a conclusion. Chapter 
chapter 12, sorry, chapter 12, Ecclesiastes, verse 13. Let, it, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Though we're actually giving the conclusion of the sermon almost here at the very beginning. But uh, it was quite a lifetime experience that Solomon came to this conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment. So you can't get away with it. You're sitting in, in the darkness at night thinking no one can see you. God will bring all, every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The NIV says, for this is the duty of all mankind. The King James Version says, the whole duty of man. The NRSV has, that is the whole duty of everyone. So let's turn back to Ecclesiastes 8 uh, while we're here. Ecclesiastes, the 8th chapter and verse 12. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 12. So Solomon, again, is commenting on vanity, that vanity is anything that's not lasting. And so we realize that this table is, is in a sense, vanity by that definition because it's not going to last. And whatever we do, we want to make sure that it's not in vain, meaning that whatever we do must contribute to holy, righteous, godly character which lasts for eternity. So we get that concept of vanity. Here in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 12, he states, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it would be well for those who fear God, who fear before him. It will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. A huge difference. The quality that Dr. Meredith observed in some of those fellow evangelists and administrators back in Pasadena years ago, they were very professional uh, very uh, highly, highly qualified, had great talents and ability. But the one thing that some of them did not have, they did not have a godly fear. And they're no longer with us. Some of them did, and some are still with us. We're really facing up to a dangerous times in the world today, and why are we facing up to that dangerous time? You'll turn to Romans 3, I think you know the answer why the world is in such danger. The world ignores and rejects God's commandments, and that's why Jesus prophesied of the Great Tribulation, World War III, and Armageddon. There's not much peace on earth at the same time. North Korea has threatened to bomb the United States with nuclear weapons, and conflicts and turmoil devastate thousands in Syria and in the Middle East. And China is flexing its military and economic muscles in Asia. Well, here in Romans, the third chapter and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. 
Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. Their poison of asp is under the, their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 15, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. It's particularly true in some of our cities in the United States and terrorism elsewhere, even the uh, attack in Times Square in New York this past week with uh, a car just ramming up the uh, sidewalk, uh, bumping pedestrians. One was killed and 22 injured. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. Why don't they know the way of peace? Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And, of course, this is quoted from Isaiah. There is no fear of God before their eyes. World peace will only come when people practice a godly fear. But why are the nations headed towards World War III? They need and they lack that spiritual quality that all of us, brethren, need to have, a godly reverence, a godly fear. Turn to Revelation, the uh, 18th, 11th chapter. 11. You know, we're all looking forward to that final trumpet and the resurrection will take place and the announcement that Christ is going to take over all the kingdoms and governments of this world. Revelation 11 and 15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of the world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty. And Almighty should give us a hint of the power and the nature of God, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. Now, the nations, of course, should be welcoming Christ and welcoming that announcement because it's the solution to our world's problems. The nations, however, were angry, and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Those who have a godly fear who respect and honor God's name, are going to be in the kingdom of God. They're going to be a part of God's family. If you turn to Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter, professing Christians, however, many of them look at the fear of God as something primitive. In other words, they might have been motivated to seek God because of a primitive fear of God, but once you accept Christ. Uh, then you have the love of God and you have no longer have the fear of God. That's their either or vision of the fear of God and the love of God. Are they contradictory? Are they mutually exclusive? When you look at Deuteronomy the tenth chapter, you find the answer to the question. Deuteronomy ten verse twelve. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the eternal your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, 
So you fear God and you love him. They are not mutually exclusive. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And it's for your good. And to keep the commandments of the eternal and his statutes which I command you today for your good. Yes, we need to fear God and do his will and keep his commandments. But it's not both, not either or. And it's uh, one of the fallacies that professing Christians have, many Protestants, that it's not the law of God, but it's the grace of God. It's either or. That's a fallacy. It's both and. We keep God's commandments and we love God. So we have the fear of God and we love God. We have the grace of God, and we keep his commandments. We have the faith, and we have works. It's not either or, but as James the Apostle brings out in chapter 2, it's faith and works. So brethren, some of us, I mean some of us, but some in God's church, have fallen for that false argument of the either or fallacy. It's both and. We love God, and we fear God. And they are compatible, and they are loving. So what are the forms of fear? And what are the benefits of a godly fear? And if you lack this quality, will you even be in the kingdom? What is the definition of fear? Unger's Bible Dictionary says, quote, a broad range of emotions that embrace both the secular and the religious worlds. Secular fear is the natural feeling of alarm caused by the expectation of imminent danger, pain, or disaster. Religious fear appears as a result of awe, A-W-E, awe, and reverence toward a supreme power. I turn to Luke, the 21st chapter, Luke 21, and here we find out what's going to happen at the end of the age when People don't have the fear of God, but have a carnal fear because they haven't exercised trust and faith in God. Luke 21st chapter. He talks about the signs and the sun and the moon and the stars in verse 25. And the on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. There's one kind of fear that's going to bring them death. And because they have not chosen the fear of God, They're going to have a carnal fear which will bring them death. Men's hearts failing them from, and the Greek word is phobos, P-H-O-B-O-S, from which you get the word phobias. So that's one kind of fear. Fear is also a wrong kind of fear, which I'm sure, I presume most of you have experienced, I have experienced as a teenager. The fear that comes from the consequence of sin. I won't turn there, but in Genesis 3 and verse 10, after Adam sinned, it says in Genesis 3, 10, so he said, 
I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So Adam's response to God was a fear as a consequence of sin. You don't want that fear. You want to make sure you will see some of the benefits of fear that help to overcome sin and even prevent sin. Revelation 21.8, let's turn to that, but you're all familiar with that. We've read that in some sermons and messages recently with the exhortation. We'll start with verse 7, uh, Revelation 21, verse 7. He overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So we've learned through the days of leavened bread that our part in uh, God's plan of salvation, that we have our part to do, and that's to overcome, overcome ourselves and Satan and the world. But the cowardly and unbelieving. So right away we find out there's a certain kind of fear that will end up in the lake of fire. That fear is one that doesn't step out in faith in believing God and unbelieving. This kind of fearfulness is associated with disobedience and associated with disbelief and not really seeking God and seeking the faith of Christ and God's faith. But the cowardly, unbelieving, they're abominable murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we don't want that kind of fear. We want a godly fear. And of course, Dr. Meredith has urged us even relating to this verse about being cowardly, urging us to be courageous. And Mr. Weston in his comments were referring to Joshua, the first chapter, where God tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage. It says that at least three or four times in Joshua 1. And that's the message for all of us. We have to be strong and of good courage. The wrong kind of fear is associated with disobedience, unbelief, and lack of faith. But a godly fear is compatible with confidence. A godly fear is compatible with the love of God, which we just read in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. Let's turn to 1 John 4 and verse 18. 1 John 4 verse 18. Someone, uh, uh, students years ago would say, well, Mr. Ames, I'm, I'm afraid of you. And I was like, oh, wait a minute now. You don't, you don't love me. If you loved me, you wouldn't be afraid of me. Well, I don't think they were all afraid of me. They were, they were nervous, but anyway. Uh, 1 John 4, verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. This is the wrong kind of fear. There is a right kind of awe, reverence, and godly fear, which is what God requires. It's vital. It's necessary. It's a requirement for salvation. But perfect love casts out fear. If we have godly fear, we will have that perfect love. Second Timothy 1.7. I won't turn there, but you know that one. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. 
So God's Spirit, as we heard in the sermonette, we can have that kind of love and not a spirit of fear. Let's turn to Romans, the fifth chapter, Romans 5. So we get the balance between love and fear. We realize that, yes, we can be filled with God's Holy Spirit. We can be filled with the love of God. And we can still have that godly awe and reverence towards God. Romans 5 and verse 5. I'm here in 1 Corinthians, Romans 5 and verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which as it should be, was given to us. So I hope you're praying that as we heard in the sermonette, that you're praying that God's love will be shed in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. When you have that kind of love, then... You're not afraid. We sang the hymn uh, just uh, after the sermon this morning, this afternoon. Be not afraid, my people, on page 108. There are several scriptures that talk about being not afraid. Let's turn back there briefly so you can see that. Uh, Isaiah 40 and verse 9. In this end time, we have to have courage, as we've been admonished many times. Isaiah, the 40th chapter and verse 9. Isaiah 40, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get you up to the high mountain, O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. We have to have that same boldness in preaching the gospel that we're not afraid. Isaiah 41 and verse 10, Isaiah 41 verse 10, fear not. For I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So we sang that song, Be Not Afraid, My People. We need to be able to have that attitude of not fearing. I won't turn there, but God said the same thing to Daniel. Daniel 10 and verse 12, do not fear, Daniel. And then he said in... uh, Verse 18, oh, verse 19 of Daniel 10. O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Many exhortations for courage and strength. And by the way, we do have quite a few sermons in, uh, on the subject of fear. I'll just mention uh, some of them. Uh, one is uh, frustration, fear, or faith. That's uh, sermon number 117, 416, fear God and rejoice. Uh, Number 575, do you fear God? Uh, Number 641, peace in the fear of God, which was given by Mr. Bob League during the days of unleavened bread. Overcoming your fears and phobias, sermon number 701. Do you fear God? Given uh, trumpets. Uh, morning by Dr. Winnale, 776. Then uh, sermon number 799, Fear God by Dr. Meredith, which was a must play. And then sermon number 942, Love, Fear, and Serve God by Mr. Jim Meredith, a more recent sermon. Let's look at some biblical examples of those who had a godly fear. Turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Hebrews 11. 
Hebrews 11. You know, right away you know, if you're turning to Hebrews 11, that this man or person that we're going to read about had faith. But what else, what other quality did he have? Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, became the heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He had both faith and a godly fear. Let's read that again. By faith being divinely warned of things, Noah, not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. That's quite an awesome compliment, and one that should be a great example for us. Another great patriarch, turn back to Genesis 22, in addition to Noah, who else had a godly fear and will be in the kingdom of God? Genesis, the uh, 22nd chapter, and most of you know that this was the great trial that Abraham had when God told him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Genesis 22, he was about to lay the knife and slay his son. Verse 10, Genesis 22. But the angel of the eternal called to him from heaven. Verse 11. Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Verse 12. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And we are children of faith because of Abraham's faith. We just thank him for that faith. Take a look at an unusual example in Exodus. Exodus, the first chapter. You may not have thought of these individuals as having a godly fear, but God blessed them. And they had to have courage in the circumstances in that particular circumstance. Exodus, the first chapter. So they made the children of Israel serve with rigor, verse 13 of chapter 1 in uh, Exodus. They had hard bondage. And the king of Egypt, verse 15, spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shephra and the other Pua, Verse 16, and he said, When you do duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then you shall, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. Well, that took courage for them. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Now notice verse 20. Therefore God dealt with well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. Here was another group 
another example of faith, courage, and a godly fear. I think you all know another major example of someone who had a godly fear. Proverbs, the 31st chapter. Proverbs 31. Here's the virtuous woman. Starts off with verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife for she is worth, for her worth is far or more above rubies. On her tongue is a law of kindness, verse 26. Verse 29, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm, verse 30, is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the eternal, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works. Praise her in the gates. So a virtuous woman is one who fears the Lord. Let's look at another example in Acts, the 10th chapter. I remember one woman back in uh, Southern California who heard a sermon on uh, godly fear. Apparently, according to her pastor, she was uh, rather an agitated person and uh, seemingly not all that cooperative. But once she heard the sermon on a godly fear, she must have chosen to have a godly fear in her whole attitude and behavior Changed, and she became one of the most cooperative and serving women in the congregation, which was quite a contrast to what she had been before. Here in Acts, the 10th chapter, we have another outstanding example of uh, godly fear, and God gave this as an example for all of us. Acts, the 10th chapter, you know the, know the story, how a certain man, chapter 10, verse 1 of Acts, it was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, implying that the rest of his household had that same respect and attitude, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So he was a Gentile. He wasn't being, uh, he was not a part of the, uh, nation of Israel, that it was, he was a Gentile. Of course, you know the story. God uh, gave him a vision to send uh, an uh, entourage to Peter. Up in the, so Peter wondered what all this was when the men came from Cornelius. And uh, they, Peter said, what, what, is, what are you doing here? In verse 22, they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, So it isn't just God's comment about Cornelius. It was the reputation he had, even among the entourage and the men that were sent to Peter. It has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Now, of course, Peter came and uh, preached to them about Christ, and they all accepted that, and God poured out his spirit, on Cornelius and his household. And Peter said, well, of course, now that you receive the Spirit, you don't need to be baptized. No, they were all baptized. And uh, Peter opened his mouth, verse 34. 
In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Acts 10, verse 35. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So here a major example, the first Gentile to be uh, baptized by, by Peter. Uh, God made a strong example. And why did he call Cornelius? He was a man that feared God, gave alms to the people regularly, and prayed always, prayed to God always, chapter 10 and verse 2. So here we have some amazing examples of individuals who had a godly fear. There's one more example that you may not realize, but yet a very important example. Turn back to Isaiah, the 11th chapter. Isaiah, the 11th chapter. And here is a prophecy about our Savior. Isaiah 11, concerning the Messiah. Isaiah 11, verse 1, Then shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Eternal shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the sphere of the Eternal. Well, in this case, Jesus, of course, was the Eternal of the Old Testament. When he became the Messiah, became the Lord as a physical human being, became flesh and dwelt among us, the Logos that dwelt among us. Then his Lord was the Father, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. This is talking about the Messiah when he became flesh and dwelt among us. And he had the reverence towards his Father. He had the fear of the Lord. And what? He delighted in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? It means he had that understanding, of course, the omnipotence, the omniscience, the omnipresence, the infinity, the awesome greatness of God. So he knew where he came from, and he had that even as of coming in the flesh as a human being. He also, our Savior, had a godly fear. I hope we can also understand that. One of the aspects of a godly fear is awe. I already quoted from one of the scriptures on that. We might turn back to Psalm 33 and verse 8. We certainly want to follow those examples of Noah and Abraham, the midwives of the Israelites in Egypt, the virtuous woman, and Christ himself. Psalm 33 and verse 8. Let all the earth fear the eternal. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So this is another dimension, another perspective on the godly fear. We have an awe. What is awe? The Cambridge Dictionary says, A feeling of great respect usually mixed with fear or surprise. A feeling of great respect, usually mixed with fear or surprise. I uh, received a Psychology Today magazine some time ago, and uh, actually 
It's on the, on the Internet now, psychologytoday.com. An article called Understanding Awe by Emma Stone, Ph.D., posted April 27, 2015, while the emerging science of awe and its benefits. <clears throat> new, search is, new research is exploring the vast potential of awe that it holds for self and society. So we have now even college universities have whole subjects and curricula on the subject of A-W-E, awe. This particular book, Understanding Awe, Emma Stone writes, Seek out experiences that give you goosebumps, such as the, the advice of Dr. Keltner, one of the foremost theorists and scholars of awe, a long-overlooked emotion. What the science of awe is suggesting is that opportunities for awe surround us and their benefits are profound. Keltner explains, Recent studies exploring this complex emotion have discovered compelling connections between the experience of awe and enhanced critical and creative thinking, thinking faculties, critical and creative thinking faculties, improved health, a sense of embeddedness into collective folds, and an increase in pro-social behaviors such as kindness, self-sacrifice, cooperation, and resource, resource sharing. Awe is also one of the few emotions that can reconfigure our sense of time and immerse us in the present moment. So how can you experience awe? Uh, we should ask all of you, have you ever experienced awe in your life? Continuing with the uh, comment from uh, Understanding Awe. Opportunities to experience awe are ever-present in, in the quotidian, but we must be open and mindful to those more subtle moments that can easily evade us. Keltner suggests live music, art galleries, theater, museums, spending time outdoors, and allowing unstructured time for exploration to invite more awe into everyday lives. We have, uh, in the front of our house, we have several rose bushes. Some are, are yellow, some are red. And I don't know why it is, but I stand in awe. When I see a little rosebud just starting to pop out, I look at that and I marvel at that little rosebud. And yet on a grander scale, when those of you who can see the heavens where you don't have light pollution, and that's probably pretty rare. But I remember, in, you know, when in my youth, when we didn't have so much light pollution, I could see the Milky Way and realize we are a part of that galaxy. This is the latest astronomy magazine, June 2017. Our trillion galaxy universe. I always was taught, and it was the common uh, uh, metric of the times, uh, how large is our universe? We'd always say our universe is 100, 100 billion galaxies, and each galaxy had, uh, what was it, 100 million stars. And that was common. And so what happened was the Hubble telescope was out in the heavens, and they started focusing the telescope on blank space. 
And then the Hubble telescope discovers galaxies that were never before seen by astronomers. Our trillion galaxy universe. Astronomers have learned that their present estimate of the number of galaxies in the cosmos was slightly off by more than one trillion. It goes on to say, um, these are important conclusions. When we count the galaxies throughout the whole history of the universe, we arrive at a total of two trillion. That's a lot more than the 100 billion that we used to be taught. This is least a factor of 10 higher than we previously thought. As deeper data emerge, we're able to better fit the observations we make to the models we've developed to describe the universe. A universe we now know that contains not billions, but trillions of galaxies. And it's just mind-boggling because it's the light years. You have to live many millions of light years even just to reach that galaxy or that star way out in the universe. And it just shows you the awesome power of God. I've told you the story before, but I was praying for a godly fear, and that was when I was in Ambassador College. I must have been my freshman year. And I was praying for a godly fear and a reverence to God. I was, uh, I had at the time in my dormitory room a uh, magazine, actually it was a book from Time Life Universe called The Universe. And on the cover, it was, I had it standing up on, uh, on my shelf. And so when I looked up from my prayer, I saw this picture of galaxies. And in a microsecond, I thought, where am I in that picture? If the Earth were in there, in that picture of the galaxies, it would have been a pinpoint, even if that, and where would I be on that little pinpoint? And I prostrated myself in trembling before God, realizing this is awesome. Where am I? The planet Earth is just as a pale blue dot, as uh, the uh, astronomer, what's his name, uh, was uh, criticizing us. Well, because we're such a pale dot, and we actually published that photo in our Tomorrow's World magazine, that famous photo of the band of the Milky Way galaxy, and there's a little tiny dot there. That is planet Earth. And so the astronomer said, it shows that we are meaningless. In this vast universe, that little dot here, life is meaningless, and we are meaningless. Of course, he rejects the whole matter of the reality of the Creator God who created that universe. We need to stand in awe of who, what, who and what God is. Continues on the article on the uh, understanding awe. The potential awe, the potential awe holds in our lives for providing meaning and transforming our experience of the world was perhaps more eloquently dis- expressed by Albert Einstein, who was once quoted as saying, The most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger who can no longer and stand and stand wrapped in awe 
is as good as dead, his eyes are closed. Though he who can no longer and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead, his eyes are closed. I turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and uh, verse 161. So have you experienced awe in any way? Just that rapturous feeling of realizing the depth and the creative power of God. Psalm 119 and 161. So we stand in awe of God's creation, but David in the, in the Psalms writes this. Psalm 119 and 161. Princes persecute ye without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. So not only do we have that rapturous amazement of the creation everywhere from a rosebud to the galaxies, and of course if you've had a chance to go on the NASA website, you can uh, see all kinds of amazing, beautiful galaxies uh, taken by the Hubble space uh, uh, craft and other uh, beautiful photos. But here David is saying, I stand in awe of your word. Might turn to Isaiah 66 and verse 2, which we all know, but yet it's so important in our spiritual and converted growth. Isaiah 66 verse 1, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? When you get the perspective of the Milky Way galaxy, only one galaxy out of two trillion galaxies, where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand is made and all these things exist, says the Eternal. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. So we need to tremble at God's word and really have that respect. And if you if you don't have that awe of God, it's something that you will need to choose. And we'll see about that a little later. But let's turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, Hebrews 12. But even now, we are exhorted by the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, verse 28 Well, actually, before that, of course, he's talking about the power of God. Well, we'll start in verse 25, Hebrews 12. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Just as David said, I stand in awe of your word whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yes once more, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence, 
in godly fear. Well, how do the Protestants take this? It's grace is connected with godly fear and reverence. Let us have grace. That's God's favor, unmerited pardon, His mercy and His blessings by which we serve God. And we serve God acceptably with reverence and a godly fear. So we've seen God's instruction and expectation of human beings in relation to Him that all the earth should fear Him. We've seen examples, faithful saints who reverenced God and had an awe of God and had a godly fear. I titled the sermon, Benefits of a Godly Fear. There are dozens and dozens of benefits of godly fear. We're going to take a little survey of some of them. We'll go through the book of Psalms and Proverbs and cover quite a few examples. But I think you might be amazed at some of the benefits and the promises of a godly fear. And if you've been lacking some of those blessings, here is a way that you may be partakers of those blessings. We'll start off in the book of Psalms. Start off with uh, Psalm 25. There are so many we can't cover all of them, but we'll skip over quite a few of them. I actually started highlighting with a blue highlighter all the all through the uh, book of Psalms and Proverbs, and it's just so many uh, you can't cover them all. Psalm 25. And verse 14. Well, the secret of the eternal is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Verse 12, just two verses earlier. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. So you have God's secret, and you are taught by him. Psalm 33, verse 18. Psalm 33, verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Eternal is on those who fear Him. God's going to look after you if you fear Him. Of course, back in verse 8, He says, Let let all the earth fear the Eternal. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. We read that earlier. Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Eternal and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears, all my phobias. They looked at him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Eternal heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Eternal encamps all around those who fear him and delivers him. What a blessing. You have angelic protection. Verse 9, O fear the Eternal, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. You're going to have your needs provided. Verse 11, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the eternal. Psalm 85. We'll skip ahead to uh, some of them. We've got so many to cover. Uh, Psalm 85 and verse 9. Psalm 85, verse 9. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. We saw in Hebrews 12 that we need to serve God with grace and with fear, reverential fear. But now salvation is near to those who fear him. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite psalms. and 
I've memorized portion of it. I won't try to uh, recite from memory. But Psalm 103, verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. I've been surprised at some brethren who've been going through troubles and they, they didn't ask God for mercy. I don't know why not. You want God's mercy. He tells you, come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain grace and mercy in time of need. That's Hebrews 4, verse 16. God's mercy is his blessing. So great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Verse 13, as a father pities his children, so the eternal pities those who fear him. Verse 17, but the mercy of the eternal is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. God is giving us absolute incredible blessings if we revere him and if we have an awe towards him. Psalm 111, verse 5. We'll go through some of these quickly. Psalm 11, verse 5. He has given food to those who fear him. And then, of course, you all know Psalm 111, verse 10. We quote from time to time. So God is going to provide food. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Yes, fear God and do his will. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. A good understanding of all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. Psalm 145 and verse 19. Psalm 145, verse 19. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. It reminds me of one of another one of my favorite uh, verses, Psalm 37:4, which says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." So here He will fulfill the desires of those who fear Him. Of course, those have to be godly desires and not sinful desires. Psalm 147, verse 11. Psalm 147, verse 11. The eternal takes pleasure in those who fear him. Remember when uh, Jesus was baptized, a voice came from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we're pleased. He's pleased with God. I might just mention in passing 1 John 3, 22, where he said, we have answered prayer because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Actually, we have a sermon number 436, How to Please God. The eternal takes pleasure, Psalm 147, verse 11, in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Go on to Psalm, uh, now we'll go through Proverbs, and there's a plethora of Proverbs, but we'll just skip over and Hit some of the highlights. You know, Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, 
And you know Proverbs 9.10, the beginning of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So knowledge and wisdom, this is the starting point. But notice one major principle here in chapter 1 of Proverbs. He's talking about not going away with the crowd, not going along with the world, your peers, and those who are tempting you to go the way of the world. He said in verse 15, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. But they persist in their sinfulness. So he says in verse 28, Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the eternal. It's a choice. You say, I don't fear God. Well, choose to fear God. And to begin to think about the principles and the scriptures we've been reading about, the examples we've read about, what that fear means. It means of accepting the reality of who and what God is. Now let's go on to some more. Um, but this is a very important principle. Verse 29, they did not choose the fear of the eternal. Proverbs 8, verse 13. When we were at the Renaissance Hotel the winter weekend last December here in Charlotte, I asked one of my one of the visitors, what room are you in? He said, I'm in room 813. I said, oh, that reminds me, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the forward mouth do I hate. Oh, he looked it up at his his cell phone. Oh, yes, uh, Proverbs 8.13, that was his room number. So let's read uh, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the eternal is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy, arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth, in the New King James Version, do I hate. So if you have a fear of evil, you are not going to be tolerating Evil, the fear of God, you're not going to be tolerating evil. Love God, fear God, and abhor evil. Proverbs 10.27, we'll skip over 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 10.27. Okay, we've got a little more time. The fear of the eternal prolongs days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. So again, it's like the commandment with promise, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the eternal your God gives you. The fear of the eternal prolongs days. 14.26, 14.26. Here's a wonderful promise and a blessing of a godly fear. Proverbs 14.26, in the fear of the eternal is strong confidence. I think sometimes I don't have enough confidence. There's self-confidence, but you need a confidence that comes from faith and from Christ living his life in us and in you and me. But he says, in the fear of the eternal is strong confidence because you're choosing the source of confidence. You're choosing the source of faith. You're choosing the source of God's Holy Spirit and the blessing. Verse 27, and well, verse, and his children... Right along with that is another promise. We'll have a place of refuge. Verse 27, the fear of the eternal is a fountain of life. 
to turn away from the snares of death. Because sometimes if you don't have the fear of the Lord and temptation comes along, it's very easy to go along with that temptation. Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the eternal leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Proverbs 19.23, to be satisfied. The world is never satisfied. It goes after opioid drugs, and we have 91 people dying in the United States every day from an opioid drug overdose. We have people addicted to alcohol, addicted to entertainment, addicted to computer games, computed to licentious and illicit sex. And God says, look, here's a better way of being satisfied, a satisfaction that will give you joy not tomorrow, tomorrow and the next day. I remember someone saying years ago, well, fun is only fun for today, but godly fun is lasting. Some, some of the kinds of worldly fun ends up in penalty, pain, and punishment. But here's a real good way of being satisfied. Are you frustrated? How many, don't raise your hands. How many of you are frustrated? He who has it will abide in satisfaction. And of course that just reminds you of John 10.10. 10, that Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And we had the announcement about Living University graduation exercises last Monday. We were all inspired to see the graduates learning the truth of God and applying the principle of recapturing true values. So we all must practice recapturing true values. That's Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Proverbs, one last one here in Proverbs. Proverbs 22, verse 4. A prudent man, well... Well, verse 3, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Proverbs 22, verse 4, by humility and fear of the eternal are riches and honor and life. So humility has got to be connected with that as well. We heard in the sermon about an action step, and I would encourage all of you to uh, go through the book of uh, Psalms and Hebrew, Psalms, Hebrews, and Proverbs, and highlight uh, the fear of the Lord. You, you've seen just a sample of what absolute wonderful gifts, blessings that God is willing to give you and me and to anyone who has the fear and reverence and awe of the eternal. How important is the fear of the eternal? We've already seen its vital importance, but there's one more verse that is extremely important with regarding our salvation and a godly fear. Philippians, the second chapter. Philippians 2 and verse 11. Philippians 2, verse 11. Well, start, actually starting with verse 12. He's talking about the name of Jesus Christ in verse 10, that every 
knee should bow to that name. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and again, obedience is connected and associated with a godly fear and godly faith, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Was that salvation by works? Or is that part that God gives us in preparing for his kingdom? With fear and trembling. I asked my wife on the way over here, have you ever experienced any fear and trembling? And she said, well, do you mean just general in life? I said, yes, general. And she told me a story about her practicing violin in a practice room at Kansas University and had a, a building uh, that had a door that was locked. And uh, she was in that. There was no one else around. And pretty soon they started banging on this door. And she said, who is it? Thankfully, she had the door locked. Who is it? And he said, he didn't answer. He just kept banging, banging. And so she started playing meditation to try to calm his nerves or something. He said, who is it? He said, me. It's me. She was terrified. Thankfully, there's a window that she could open, and she looked out to see if there were anyone else she could call for help. It was a student, a male student, I guess, hundred many yards away. She called him. He came up closer. She said, well, please, could you come up the stairs and escort me down? I'm afraid. And uh, the banging was still going on the door. And so he came up and escorted her, and the other man had left. Later on, her music professor asked, have you been assaulted by anyone in the music studio? So that was a very terrifying thing, but she prayed. She got down. She wasn't in God's church at the time, but she prayed. And uh, God rescued her from that time. Some of us who've been in earthquakes in California know what fear and trembling is when you're in a very violent earthquake, which we've been on, well, violent, I'd say, maybe two occasions in regular uh, earthquakes on other occasions. And the whole house is shaking up and down, and we're just standing in the doorway trying to trying to survive. Oh, you really, he said, we already read in Hebrews 12, he's going to shake not only the earth, but the heavens. But he says here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But how do you do that? The answer is in verse 13, which is a very encouraging answer. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So God is going to help you to make the right decisions. He's going to help you to fear God and do his will and to keep his commandments. You ask him to work in you, and if Christ is in you, of course, that will be fulfilling, doing his will and his good pleasure. Do all things without complainings and murmurings, disputing. Well, it's very important, brethren, to think about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but you're, you're trusting in God, you're trusting in your living Savior, Jesus Christ, at God's right hand, because he's going to save you. And you know Philippians 1 and verse 6, that he that has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So your salvation is promised, it's as long as you're doing your part. 
Let's turn to a few scriptures here to just see the end of the story. Revelation 14, verse 6. We already read Revelation 11, 17, that he's going to reward the servants and the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name. That was Revelation 11, 18. Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water. Turn ahead to Proverbs, uh, to chapter 15 and verse 3. And of course, this is the saints on the sea of glass, right, while they're going to the wedding with Christ. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of saints. He is the King of saints. We had a sermon uh, must play, I believe it was. Who are the saints? Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? That's what we'll be singing. We'll be singing that song. We're there on the sea of glass. For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. Revelation 19, verse 4. Revelation 19 and verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen and Amen. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise God, all you his servants, and those who fear him both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as a sound of many waters and is a sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. He is the Lord God omnipotent, all-powerful, omni-all-potent power. God is all-powerful. We thank God that he's revealed himself to us, that he's also begotten us, that the Father has begotten us as we are his begotten children. So, brethren, we need to stand in awe of the omnipotence, the unlimited power of God that rules the universe with love. A few more scriptures before we close. Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews 13. We've seen that we don't want a carnal fear the fearfulness that is a fear of the consequence of sin and is going to end up in the lake of fire. We want a godly fear that has the raw, the awe and the reverence and the obedience and the faith towards God. So we can trust in Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5, Let your conduct be without covetousness, for be content with such things as you have. 
For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I claim that promise when I feel a little discouraged or a little on the weak side. You promise that you won't leave me nor forsake me. And then, of course, Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse 20, I will be with you to the end of the age. You have those promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He can only kill you in the next second of your consciousness be resurrected as Dr. Meredith looked forward to realizing that, yes, time will not pass. Time passes for us because we're alive, but for those who sleep in Jesus who are in the grave, the next split second of their consciousness, they'll be resurrected into glory. Hebrews 12, well, Hebrews 13 while we're here, and, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, I read this before, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, reverence and godly fear. So we need to go forward. With faith, boldness, and strong confidence, we must recapture and restore original Christianity and fulfill the Great Commission. God has given us overwhelming, abundant, abundant blessings, as we've seen, for those who have a godly fear, that those obey Him, rejoice in Him, respect Him, and reverence Him. Let's also remember the men and women of faith who exemplified a godly fear, Noah, Abraham, the midwives in Egypt, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, the Gentile centurion Cornelius, and the Messiah himself, who delighted in the fear of the Lord. And as we've heard just two weeks from tomorrow is the Feast of Pentecost. It's also called the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Firstfruits. We are privileged to understand the meaning of the holy days. We heard the sermon out, we do need to cry out for God's Holy Spirit. We'll turn finally to Acts 9 and verse 31. Acts 9 and verse 31. Because the church of God, New Testament church, began on Pentecost in 31 A.D., and we are restoring original Christianity, following the footsteps of the patriarchs and the apostles and Jesus Christ himself when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But notice the characteristic of that first century church. Shortly after Pentecost in 31 A.D., you know that Saul had gone out persecuting the church, and finally he was converted. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord, Acts 9, verse 29. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Verse 31. What was the church like? And what should we be like as the very church of God, the body of Christ? Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, 
they were multiplied. So let us, brethren, this end-time church of God, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and have the same passion Dr. Meredith exemplified in doing the work of God. Let's fear God and do His will. Let's delight in the fear of the Lord as the Messiah Jesus Christ Himself did. Let's walk in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Then we will all rejoice in the awesome blessings that God gives those who have a godly fear.